And now, a warrior for the Word of God and the Constitution of the United States, a Marine Corps veteran, a Harvard-trained attorney, Bishop of the Called Churches, and founder and president of STAND, staying true to America's national destiny, the voice of the awakening, your host, Bishop E. W. Jackson. And I am he. Um, the new granddaddy. <laughs> oh, folks, I spent the weekend with my daughter and her husband and our new granddaughter, and it was just heavenly. <laughs> you know, I, said, I think it's, I said, I think it's the greatest trip I've ever had, the greatest, the greatest excursion I've ever had, and I've been blessed to go to some wonderful places, but never a place where I got to see my grand, new granddaughter. Just, it was just great, just great. So thank you all for your prayers and, and your well wishes. And, and I'll try not to be the typical grandparent, at least new grandparent that is always talking about their grandchildren and showing you pictures of their grandchildren and telling you what their grandchildren are doing. I'll try not to be that intrusive about it, but it ain't easy, folks. It ain't easy. <laughs> so, but listen, I hope you had a great weekend. And uh, got a chance to enjoy yourself and spend some time with family and friends and, and spend some time in church. And for those of you who are not on a Monday through Friday week schedule, uh, st still hope you enjoyed it because for a lot of people still are. And it gives us access to, to people sometimes who aren't easily accessible during the week because they're busy working. Thank you also, also for your prayers for my son. I can tell you that he is doing better. Uh, still some improvement there that's needed, but I, I know that the prayers of the saints of God are efficacious. The effectual fair prayer of the righteous avails much, and it is availing. It is availing. So please keep praying for him. Uh, he appreciates it. His wife appreciates it. And my entire family very much appreciates it. Well, look, two things I want to open up with today, and, and, and I'm beginning to realize something. I am somewhat out of sync here, even with some conservatives, and and frankly, I'm a little disappointed in them because my views are not at all changed by the fact that there are some conservatives who don't agree with me. I think that this Supreme Court nominee whose hearing is taking place right now is an utter disaster. Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson should never get anywhere near the Supreme Court, in my view. Now, I'm hearing from conservatives like Andy McCarthy, who is you know, a pretty solid guy. Uh, Jonathan Turley, who is at least, I mean, he considers himself a liberal, but, but he's very fair-minded. Well, you know, that the criticisms are not that bad. She's really a great person. First of all, let me just say for the record, she may be a very nice person to be around and a very nice person to talk to and all of that. And, and frankly, that's, that's good if she is for all the people who have an opportunity to interact with her. But folks, I don't care about that. I'm not considering whether I want her as a neighbor or whether I want to hang out with her. I'm considering whether she should sit on the United States Supreme Court and the fact, the fact that she is likable to me is utterly irrelevant. I suppose if she were a horrible person to be around, it might be relevant in that she would not get along with the other members of the court. But even there, I think it would barely pass the relevance test. So the fact that she's likable, I keep hearing this. Oh, she's a very likable person. Who cares? What is wrong with us? And that's the measure now? That's, that's what qualifies you to be on the Supreme Court, that everybody likes you? And she's, she's, she's a, a brilliant, well, look, my father used to call people educated fools who had a lot of education and, and basically no common sense. Because what I do know is that she is an adherent to the Black Lives Matter, critical race theory, uh, 1619 Project School of Thought, which, let me just say this plainly so that nobody misunderstands, which could only be described as one thing, racist. It is racist. It is racist on two counts, at least. One is on the count 
that it condemns an entire group of people based on their uh, historic or ancestral origins and the complexion of their skin. Those philosophies do. You know, I got to thinking about this um, in the last couple of days. You know, they, these people who subscribe to this stuff don't clearly don't believe in the God of the Bible. They may believe in a God of some kind, but they don't believe in the God of the Bible. Because they would have the God of the Bible saying, you know, I really like all these black folks, all these people of African. I really like them. These people of African ancestry, I really like them. I don't like these people of European ancestry. I really don't like them. So, you know, I want to, all the people of darker complexion, come on in. And all the people of lighter complexion, no, 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 you, 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 you know, you all are really, 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 really bad. And I, I just don't like you at all. You're unjust, you're unfair, you're an oppressor, you're a racist, you're this, you're that. I mean, that's how they would have God deal with us by our racial identity. And all you Christians, all these so-called Christians in these churches that have embraced that way of looking at life, that comes from the devil. It doesn't come from God. Now, somebody who embraces that, therefore, in my view, is animated by Satan. Now, I know the left will hear that and say, you know, I'm calling the woman a Satanist. You all know that that's not what I'm saying. People can be animated and, 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 and motivated and influenced by Satan. That doesn't make them Satanists. They may not even believe in Satan. But we know he's the adversary of God, and he's the consummate liar. He is the inventor of the lie. And he gets people thinking in ways that amount to profound self-deception. And if this woman embraces those ideas, then she is profoundly self-deceived. Why would I want somebody like that on the court? Well, here's one answer, of course, you'd be given. We don't understand, Bishop Jackson. We don't understand why you don't want somebody on the court who looks like you. Which, as you all probably, which is just one of the dumbest concepts I've ever heard in my life. I mean, just that's just, to me, just, that's just dumb. Because, first of all, nobody really looks like you. So it's shorthand for simply saying somebody who shares whatever they consider to be their racial identity. As if their principles, their values, their ideals, their integrity, their honor, none of that matters. They just need to look like me. Now, forgive me if this seems like a tangential footnote. But most people are not aware of this. Do you all know that the most prolific serial killer in the history of our country is a man named Samuel Little, who I believe had, uh, they felt confident that he had about 96 murders to his account. The most prolific. He happened to be black. Does that make anybody feel better? Because he, quote, looks like you, looks like me? I mean, it's just a stupid concept. Of course it doesn't. First of all, he doesn't look like me because I happen to be an American of African ancestry as well, but I don't, I, I don't in any way associate myself with him because of the color of his skin, because the man represents horror, heartache, murder, mayhem. And I have nothing to do with that. So somehow, somehow I'm supposed to be or to have some, some kind of affinity to him because he looks like me. I mean, it's just a dumb idea. But I believe this judge subscribes to it. Back in a moment. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. 
One lesson we should learn from history is that we should believe what dictators say. I don't mean that we should believe all the propaganda they and their government spew, but I do mean that if a dictator says he will attack a country, we should believe it. The editors of the Wall Street Journal put it this way, take autocrats literally and seriously when they tell us what they intend to do. They say we shouldn't be surprised by the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Vladimir Putin told the world what he would likely do in the future. In a speech at the Munich Security Conference, Putin criticized the European security order and criticized the expansion of NATO, warning that future enlargement would be a serious provocation that would justify a Russian response. That same year, he waged a proxy war in Georgia using Russian separatists that led to military action. Seven years later, he moved into Crimea, and for many years, he's been referring to Ukrainians and Russians as a single people. You could say the same for China. For many years, Xi Jinping has talked about the unification of Taiwan with mainland China. He has stressed their ethnic solidarity and has also been saber-rattling and implying a military action against Taiwan. The Chinese repression of pro-freedom demonstrations in Hong Kong show the links that he and the Chinese Communist Party will go to absorb Taiwan. The current administration is trying to put together an Iranian nuclear deal. But shouldn't we believe the Iranian leaders when they make it clear how they plan to use nuclear weapons in the Middle East and perhaps against the U.S.? Some of our leaders always want to ensure us that dictators and autocrats don't mean what they say. Instead, we should listen to what they say and believe what they say. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Go deeper on topics like you just heard by visiting pointofview.net. That's pointofview.net. A woman friend of mine once told me, Steve, Christian women can't demand their rights without violating the essence of their Christian faith. Then she paused and pointed her finger at me and said, so it's up to you, buster. You know, I've taken that seriously. You know why? Because nobody's free until everybody is free. Christians need to remember that we're here for each other. When you cry, I ought to taste salt. When you're demeaned, I'm demeaned. When you celebrate victory, I celebrate too. That's what the family of God is all about. Women's rights aren't women's rights. They're the rights of old Christians. I'm Steve Brown. You think about that. Share what you just heard with a friend. Go to youthinkaboutthat.com. The Awakening. The Awakening. Download and listen at your leisure with the podcast page at AFR.net. Now, back to our host, Bishop E.W. Jackson. So, she's been overturned. She, meaning the, the person who is now being considered for a Supreme Court appointment, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. She refuses to use the term illegal alien, even though that is the statutory language. She refuses to use it. In one case, she was overturned, uh, according to Jonathan Turley, who is, of course, a legal expert. She was overturned, not for her interpretation of a statute, but because she simply ignored the statute, just ignored it, just flat out ignored it. And the appeals court said, you simply can't ignore the law. Now, anybody who sits on the bench and is making judgments with a willingness to completely ignore the law should not be sitting on the Supreme Court where that person is likewise likely to completely ignore the Constitution, which is what leftists do anyway, folks. That's why we have Roe v. Wade. That's why we have legal abortion in our country, because they simply ignored the Constitution and just made up something and turned killing babies into a constitutional right. They basically enshrine sin into the Constitution by judicial fiat and tyranny because it's not there. That's how we got same-sex marriage because judges, including one conservative judge as well, 
well, well, let's put it this way. A conservative judge certainly decided here most recently that the, the, the language of the 1964 civil rights statute, uh, the language of the, the word sex now includes gender identity. I mean, that's just making stuff up because it did not and does not include gender identity. I mean, you may find that in a modern dictionary that just is basically kind of going along with going along with leftist culture. But we know the word sex doesn't mean gender identity. That's not your sex. Somebody wakes up the next day and decides that they, they were they were one gender yesterday. They're another gender today. And that's what the word sex means. No, it does not. So judges who are willing to just ignore the language of the Constitution, ignore statutory language and just do whatever they want to do are not really judges, in my view. They're social activists. And I think that's what that's what Judge Katanji Brown Jackson is. She's just a social activist and she's going to use the court to advance her agenda. Now, here's the last and most telling thing This is what really disappointed me about Andy McCarthy Senator Josh Hawley has uncovered the fact that she consistently uh, rules favorably, shall we say, toward users of child pornography. Uh, and she says, in fact, he, he cited two cases. In fact, he says there are 10, but cited two in which she went way below the minimum recommended for the offense. And I think I shared with you all some language on Friday in which she <clears throat> she says things like, well, you know, th- th- we have to distinguish between users of child pornography and pedophilia because users of child pornography may just be interested in the Internet. And I mean, these really weird cockamamie excuses for for using child pornography. I mean, come on. People who traffic in child pornography are trafficking pedophilia, trafficking in pedophilia. Because it's, it's a whole integrated industry. You can't kind of, oh, well, the, the, these people, no, they're, they're, only, they're only trafficking in child pornography. They're, they're not, you know, we, we can't punish them as if they're involved in pedophilia. It's it just, and that's who is about to get appointed to the Supreme Court. It'll be interesting to see what Republicans vote for this person. Because in my view, she shouldn't be anywhere near the the Supreme Court. And for those conservatives that are kind of justifying her, uh, they they need to get a clue. Because you know what? First of all, it's wrong on the merits. Okay, it's just wrong on the merits. Secondly, we know why why she will probably not get as heavily criticized as she should for some of her clear philosophical leanings as well as her, her, her decisions because she's a black woman and that's what you know we've got to have now, right? We've got to have a black woman on the court. You know, folks, and, and some of you listening to me right now, you may have been the first in your family to graduate from college. I was. You may have been the first in your family to achieve some other milestone. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with celebrating that. And, and, and frankly... I completely understand and, and sympathize with the idea of people achieving, you know, the, the being the first black person to achieve this or that, knowing that historically there was segregation and people were denied those those sorts of opportunities. And and so I believe me, I I, I, I understand it perfectly. OK, uh, my my father was very glad to see me graduate from college and say, you know, my, my son's the first one in our family to graduate from college. And here again, some of you, I'm sure, have had the same experiences. But folks, it's really time to get past it. It really is. It really is. You know, I will be glad when we, and we've got to at some point get to that, don't we? To get to the point where, where we say, wow, what a brilliant X, what a brilliant why? What a brilliant jurist. What a brilliant doctor. What a brilliant attorney. What a bri- Rather than, you know, he's the first black, she's the first black, he's the first. I mean, because to me, it almost diminishes. In fact, not almost. It really does diminish 
and certainly de-emphasizes the qualifications of the person and makes their racial or gender category the most important thing. And then you wonder, where does this all end? What's next? You know, we've never had a transgender person on court. It's time for us to have a transgender. We, what we need now is a black woman transgendering, uh, transitioning to a man or a black man transgendering to a woman or an Asian man transgendering to a non-binary. I mean, where does it all end? This stuff does not lend itself to the unity of this nation that is important to our future and to our security. It really doesn't. In fact, it, in my view, it just rips it apart. And you know, let me add one more thing. If nothing else I've said has been terribly controversial to at least to those of you listening to me. <laughs> and that's not what I'm aiming for. But I know for some people, it's, uh, you know, it's, oh, I'm way over the line for some. But look, folks, I just want you to think about this for a second. Our country, ultimately, we fought a civil war, and ultimately the country turned against the idea that, you are, that anyone can be evaluated based on the complexion of their skin. We know there are people who are dark-skinned, who are very, very, very intelligent, and people who are dark-skinned, who are very, very dumb and very, and, 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 and very shall we say, um, very, people who you might not want to recommend uh, if it's a man to marry your daughter, you know? And then on the other hand, there are people who are, are very light complexion, who are very, very smart, very, very brilliant, decent, honorable, and people who are light complexion who are just absolutely you want to avoid like the plague. We, we, I think most Americans have just reached the conclusion it's not about anybody's racial or ethnic background. It's about, the, as Dr. King famously said, the content of their character, not the color of their skin. I say competence and character and competence. Those are the things. Intelligence, yes, but integrity and honor and decency – those, those are the factors that matter. And yet, you know what the left has done? They've done the very thing that the most virulent racists did in our past history, which was make everything about skin color, right? That's what, the, that's what the racists of the past did. They made everything about skin color. And now the left today, and many of the black people who subscribe to that thinking, have done exactly the same thing. So all they've done is replace the racists of the past. Except they are racist with darker skin, asking everybody to draw all kinds of conclusions about people with lighter skin. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, it's sad that they don't see the irony of what they're doing, that they don't see how destructive it is that they're repeating rather than curing the mistakes of the past. But, you know, you can't tell them that because they're all in the, they're all suffering from ROS, racial obsession syndrome, uh, and they're all part of the, the, the racial obsession leftist Marxist socialist cult. And, you know, nobody, nobody ever questions it. We just, we just go along with it. Well, not here. Not here on American Family Radio and certainly not here on The Awakening uh, we're not going along with it. Now, to put the icing on the cake, since we've been discussing this judge, and you all know my background as an attorney, um, Yale Law students, as you all know, disrupted a debate on free speech. Um, and folks, here's what I want to end this segment with, and when we come back, we're going to start taking your calls. Those Yale Law students are the future Judge Jacksons, who don't believe in our Constitution, don't believe in our First Amendment, don't believe in our way of life. They want to destroy it. Back in a minute. It's my turn. Here is your host for My Turn, 
Don Wildman. There's a man in the New Testament who is surely one of the most overlooked and under-recognized characters in the Bible. His name is Barnabas. What kind of person was he? Well, we're told that when the young, struggling church at Jerusalem needed financial help, he sold his property and gave the income to the church. We're told also that on another occasion, he and Paul took an offering at the church in Antioch and carried it to Jerusalem to help those left needy because of a famine. Not only did Barnabas help with the financial needs of the people, but he helped them in other ways as well. When the church at Antioch needed more leadership, Barnabas went to Tarsus and persuaded Paul to return with him and help. But there's another quality that Barnabas had that even overshadowed those. After Paul had been converted to the Christian faith and wanted desperately to meet with the Christian leaders in Jerusalem, they refused to see him. They were suspicious of him, afraid he might still be seeking to do them harm. Paul searched in vain to get someone to take him to the church leaders, but no one dared take the chance, no one that is, but Barnabas. Barnabas risked his all, his reputation, and even, probably and possibly, his life when he volunteered to introduce Paul to the church leaders. Barnabas reasoned that you should not hold a man's past against him when he had had a change in heart. Sometime later, when Paul was preparing for what is commonly known as the second missionary journey, he refused to include John Mark in his group. Mark had deserted Paul and Barnabas in the middle of their first journey, and Paul held this against Mark. But Barnabas was the type of person who dared to give a man another chance. So he separated from Paul and carried John Mark with him. He again risked his reputation to give a person another chance. I've often wondered where the world would be without Barnabas. There's a possibility that Paul would have never become one of the apostles and would not have been able to accomplish his great work. And there is a chance that John Mark would have turned his back on the new faith. If that had happened, we'd be much the poorer. For it was Mark who wrote the first recorded account that we have of the life and teachings of Christ. If you doubt how great that contribution of Mark is, you must remember that of the 666 verses contained in Mark's gospel, all but 30 are copied by either Matthew or Luke in their works. Take away Mark's material, and the material contained in the first three gospels would be little indeed. When Paul needed a friend but didn't deserve one, Barnabas was there. When Mark needed a friend but didn't deserve one, Barnabas was there. There's always a need for a Barnabas. You know the world is a better place and much richer because of Barnabas. His kind is still needed today and will be as long as the world endures. This has been My Turn with Don Wildman, a production of the American Family Association. The Awakening. The Awakening. Download and listen at your leisure with the podcast page at AFR.net. Now, back to our host, Bishop E.W. Jackson. The number is 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. We're taking your calls. Uh, by the way, you all know that Justice Clarence Thomas is in the hospital right now with apparently a bad case of the flu. Uh, but the report are the prognosis is good that he will be out and he's continuing to do his judicial responsibilities there in the hospital. I want to ask all of you to please pray for him and please pray for every member of the Supreme Court. Not that we want anything bad to happen to any of them, of course, but for every conservative member of the Supreme Court to stay healthy until we get a president who will support, who will appoint originalists and textualists to the court rather than these leftist ideologues for whom the Constitution is simply an antiquated document that is honored more in the breach than in the observance. Please, and I'm, I'm very serious about that, folks. Because the last thing we need 
is to have a conservative justice, God forbid, die and have Joe Biden in a position of appointing that person's replacement. Oh, my goodness. I mean, that would be a disaster for the country. And the reason why I'm spending so much time on this, this Judge Jackson, is I really believe that she is going to be a disaster for the country. Um, we just don't need people like that on the Supreme Court. So, so please be praying for that. Uh, by the way, interestingly, you all know that Clarence Thomas, when they, when they opened the Museum of African American History and Culture, which, by the way, is a taxpayer-funded museum. Uh, I'm not saying there aren't private donations to it, but it is a taxpayer-funded institution. They didn't even include Clarence Thomas, other than a reference to the fact he was appointed under, under accusations from Anita Hill of sexual harassment. That's all they said. And the excuse they gave was, we don't have time to, to include everything. So finally, under pressure from Republican lawmakers, they included him. But even then, Thurgood Marshall's a great hero, and he's the most wonderful person who ever walked the face of the earth. Oh, oh yeah, then the Clarence, Tom Clarence Thomas was appointed to the Supreme Court, too. I mean, it's kind of a, you know, yeah, yeah, he, he's also, he was also appointed on the Supreme I mean, it just... It, see, this is why, folks, I, I just have no confidence in these institutions and we've got to we've got to clean up the culture. See, that's that's not just political. That's cultural. That's that's a reflection of the leftist ideologues who are controlling the process. And instead of treating Clarence Thomas with the respect that he deserves as a man who grew up in abject poverty, came out of the segregation era, went on to graduate himself from Yale Law School and to make something of himself. Uh, instead, they want to smear him with these accusations. Uh, and, and it, it, but, but on, on the other hand, Thurgood Marshall. Let's you know. Now, now what's what, what? What did Thurgood Marshall do? Well, he walked on water, obviously. Now they were in two very different positions. Thurgood Marshall was at the sort of on the cusp of the breakthrough of the civil rights movement. Clarence Thomas came at a later time, and I don't mind putting that context in there. Of course, that's part of history. But kind of treating him like he's a glorified saint and Clarence Thomas like he's at best a footnote and maybe maybe even a devil is, is just not something that taxpayer funded institutions, a private institution wants to do that. They've got the First Amendment right to do it. But but a, a taxpayer funded institution ought to be trying to be fair and neutral and simply presenting facts and information for people, not a polemic against somebody because they don't like that person or agree with that person. 888-589-8840 is the number. And let's go to the calls. We've got some open lines, folks. So call on in. We've got Rob in Arkansas. Rob, welcome. And I am he. <laughs> All right, Rob, you got it in. I knew good you'd to hear love from that. Uh, good to hear from you, sir. First of all, uh, that was a great sermon you had yesterday morning. Thank and, you. And um, I want to talk to you about the nominee for Supreme Court. This is a dangerous situation because uh, she is a very left leaner. Um, her her views on uh, child pornography and pedophilia is oh, it makes my stomach sick. And if if the uh, if the conservatives, some of them, if they vote for her, they shouldn't be in office. Uh, there, there's something wrong with this. Uh, and and it's and it's going to add fuel to the fire for Biden and his uh, his uh, socialism platform, because I believe that people who recognize themselves as gay, LGBTQ or whatever the case may be, are going to go this route because this is what they want, and they're going to succumb to what he wants, and that's going to aim towards socialism, and it just it just makes me sick. That's all yeah. I can think about. It. Well, Rob, you said plenty, and I really appreciate it. I agree with you entirely, uh, and it is it is a very very dangerous moment. By the way, and thank you for the call, Rob. By the way, Andy McCarthy disappointed me this morning because he said. Well, you know, her views on that, there, there are a lot of judges who feel the same way. And I, I thought to myself, well, who cares what a lot of judges feel? The question is, 
is she right or is she wrong? And is this good for the country or is it not? Not the fact that a lot of judges feel the same way. I mean, that, I, sometimes you wonder about some of these so-called conservatives. But it reminds me, folks, as I've always said, I want to know what's the wellspring of your conservatism. Is it that is it faith in God and belief that the Bible is true, that there are absolutes to which we must all answer and we will ultimately answer to Almighty God? Or is it just, well, by reason I've come to these conclusions because I think this is the most efficient and the most effective, which can make you very swishy, very easily moved, or, or, or shall we say, you're too busy trying to be accepted as, uh, let's be rational about this. And he says, basically, they ought not oppose, the Republicans ought not oppose her nomination because getting ready for the elections, I guess they think this is going to hurt them with the black vote. But I'll tell you something, I think you've got to stop playing games and make the case for why your position is what it is and explain to people it has nothing to do with the color of her skin. That may be why she's appointed, but that's not why I oppose her. I oppose her for these reasons and then tick them off. I mean, how hard is that? 888-589-8840 is the number. Let's try to get another one in here. Let's go to Audra in Ohio. Audra, welcome. Hi, how are you? So I'm new to the show. <clears throat> okay, and, uh, well, welcome. Loved, thank you. Loved your, uh, the way you outline the facts, and just so we can talk about the nominee. A question for you. So how should have the president introduced her as a candidate, as a diverse candidate? Because what I found, being African-American as well, if someone doesn't make a bold statement, we're never even considered to be in the process. So what could he have done differently to introduce this level of diversity? Well, Audra, thank you for the call. And, you know, included in your statement is an assumption. You say we're, we're never assumed to be in the process. Um, I, I don't agree with that. I, I think just like with all Supreme Court nominations, presidents tend to trot out a number of different candidates that they think are eligible, that they think might be considered. And I think he, you could certainly include her and any other uh, uh, Americans of African ancestry, Asian ancestry, anything else you want. You could include them in that mix. I think the problem, Audra, when you say, when you do it the way he did it, is you have done what anybody else doing that would have been violating the law. You can't do that. You can't. No employer can do it. No government agency can do it. Nobody can say, I'm going to hire someone and I am only going to consider a person of this race and this gender. You can't. That's that's simply a violation of civil rights law. But the president does it. And to me, it sends a signal, which is our racial agenda is more important than doing things according to the law. So I think that he could have finessed that. And he could, he could have even said, we've never had a black woman on the Supreme Court. I'm going to be looking very closely at, at those women who are qualified uh, and taking a hard look at them without saying, this is the only kind of person I'm going to consider. Because, you know, at some point, somebody, somebody may end up having to say, we've never had an Asian woman on the court. And this is the only kind of person I'm going to consider. Or we've never had an Indian woman on the court. And th I mean... Where does this all end? That's the question, whether we provide leadership and vision or we just stay locked in the past. Back in a moment. Can we trust the Bible? He says, we saw this. And that sets the Bible apart from almost everything else in the ancient world and its religious pantheon of gods and goddesses. The God Who Speaks, the important documentary from the American Family Association, is now available to watch for free on AFA's brand new streaming platform. Go to thegodwhospeaks.org to watch this award-winning film today. Thegodwhospeaks.org. What does the American Family Association stand for? AFA aims to evangelize the lost and disciple the believer. AFA aims to strengthen biblical marriages and equip parents to raise godly children. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation 
Thank you for standing with us. Hi, this is Steve Tiber with 8 Days of Hope. As many of you know, Hurricane Ida devastated Louisiana in August, making landfall as a Category 4 hurricane, leaving thousands of families in need of hope. Do you know it's been three years since 8 Days of Hope deployed on a rebuilding trip where we help hundreds of families rebuild their homes for free? But today I've got some exciting news. We're announcing that 8 Days of Hope 17 is going to take place in Laplace, Louisiana from April 9th through the 16th, bringing hope to those who are feeling hopeless. We're be doing roofing and drywall painting and so much more. If you'd love to use your gifts to serve those in need, go to our website, 8daysofhope.com. As always, it's free to volunteer with us. Food and lodging are provided. And again, if you're looking to be the hands and feet of Jesus, join us in April when we go to Laplace, Louisiana during 8 Days of Hope 17. Again, for more information about this outreach or any arm of the ministry, go to 8daysofhope.com. That's 8daysofhope.com. And I think even that is uh, part of how our culture kind of indoctrinates us to think that people with disabilities are somehow less valuable. Shauna Amick on Focus on the Family Minute, sharing about raising her daughter with special needs. Because what, what would be there to fear in Down syndrome? I can say that today. <laughs> right. 16 years ago, I was terrified. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know what this would look like. Um, but you know, the honest truth is that anytime we have a baby, we don't know what that's going to look like, right? Disability or not. Sure. I'm grateful that it, it, it didn't shake my faith. Um, it, it totally shook my, my core, I can yeah. say that. And I had a lot of questioning uh, the Lord, why? Why would he do this to my baby? Why would he do it to me? God can handle your difficult questions. More at familyminute.org. Back to The Awakening with Bishop E.W. Jackson on American Family Radio. You know, that was an excellent question from Audra, and I've been sitting here thinking about that during the break, and I think the, the best way for me to answer that, in addition to what I've already said, if I were president, how would I approach that? Well, first of all, I think if someone were to say to me, you know, there's never been a black woman on the court, you could break history um, by appointing a black woman to the court. I think my approach would be to say, go out and find me all the very best candidates whose philosophy agrees with me, and let's take a look at them, see what you come up with. And if there were black women in that group, then I would, the next question I would, be, I would ask is, how do they measure up? How does this person or that person measure up against other candidates? And if somebody were to come back and say, hey, you know what? It just so happens the best academically, the best judicial record happens to be a black woman. Okay, it's a no-brainer. But not appointing her because she's a black woman, but because she ends up the very best of the crop. Well, what if there were pretty much between several people? Then you know what you do is you just look deeper and you, you ask more questions about this person's background, this person's qualifications. It, look, there's no question, all things being equal, if you have an opportunity to add someone to the court, maybe from a particular background that's never been represented on the court before, all things being equal, I'm not saying it's wrong to consider that, but I think it is wrong to say this is the only kind of person I'm even going to consider for the court. Well, I, I just think that's a bad, bad road to walk down. You know, the other thing that, that needs to be said here, and this has always been my problem with affirmative action as practice. I say, I don't have a problem with the concept of affirmative action in this sense, reaching out to people who maybe don't have access to resources. And see, this is about economics and about background more than it is about race, but reaching out to people who don't have background and resources and access the same things that people from a more affluent background might have and saying, hey, are you aware that based on your academic performance, you are eligible to go here, you're eligible for this scholarship, or, and, and to help coach those folks, that kind of affirmative action, not race norming. Oh, you're black, you only need to get a 50. Everybody else needs to get a 70. I detest that. And here's why. Because when you make race the first thing, you take away from that person 
to me, the most important aspect of whatever profession they're entering into or whatever thing they're competing for, and that is respect. You place them under suspicion that somehow, some way, they didn't have to meet the same standards as everybody else. You know, you can give position, but you can't give respect. It has to be earned. I'm talking about professional respect, not just as a human being, but it has to be earned. 888-589-8840. Let's get back to the telephones here. Let's go to Mike in Indiana. Mike, welcome. Yeah, uh, I would request all the Vietnam, first of all, simplify, brother. Simplify to you too, Mike. I would request that all Vietnam veterans call in. I love hearing your show, and uh, we all fought for our freedom. And Mm. I won't mention no names, but we're looking at our freedom being taken away from us. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Mike. And uh, thank you so much for the call. And thank you for your service, Mike, and simplify back at you. Hoorah. Um, Look, I I have a special place in my heart for Vietnam veterans. I even get emotional talking about it because I didn't see combat. But so many people that I know, so many friends came back and were so mistreated. I mean, they went and fought honorably for our country. And they fought against communism, which is a profound and pernicious evil. And they turned it, here again, turned it into some kind of racial thing. Oh, they're over there. You know, those, Muhammad Ali, who I really had a lot of, of, of affection for and really admired, but he was wrong, and, and Martin Luther King was wrong. They were all wrong about the Vietnam War. They tried to turn it into some, into some kind of racial thing. Uh, those, those, those people over there never did anything to me. It was not about those people over there having done something to you. It was about fighting a pernicious ideology that's been responsible for the deaths of 100 million people around the world and keeping a country that was our ally free of that. And frankly, I think had it not been for politicians, if we'd actually left it to the military and they hadn't gotten political, we would have defeated the Viet Cong and South Korea would, um, South uh, Vietnam, that is, would be free today. Because I think we had defeated them. Even the Tet Offensive, I was talking to somebody about the Tet Offensive, doing the Tet Offensive. We didn't lose the Tet Offensive. We lost the PR war. I mean, far more Viet Cong were killed during the Tet Offensive than Americans. But the press reported, oh, look, this war is unwinnable. And that was that was the message that went out. It's unwinnable. You can't stop them. So uh, Vietnam veterans have a special place in my heart and uh, because of the way that they were treated. And God bless all of our veterans. And thank you so much for the call, Mike. Uh, Let's go to Curtis in Virginia. Curtis, welcome. Thank you for taking my call, sir. Thanks for calling. I uh, I, I have a, a problem with the situation with the, the, the judge nominee. For one thing, if she really would love the Constitution or she was a Constitution, she would not accept the position. She would not accept the nomination because it's not lawful. It is not constitutional. And I just I think you already touched on that uh, this morning. But I, I, I honestly think that. No, this situation of just a black woman being uh, nominated is all wrong, and it's not constitutional. And she should have she should have turned that nomination down. Well, you know she won't gonna do it, but she should have turned it down. That's my thought on that. Wow, Curtis, man, thank you so much for the call. I, you know that's why I love hearing from you all, Curtis. You've raised a brilliant point. You really have a brilliant point. And the point is this. If she really loved the Constitution and really believed in civil rights as we now know it, she would have said, I will not be a part of consideration in which only a certain racial group and gender are being considered. I will not have that. We're all Americans and I will compete against my fellow Americans for this position happily, but I am not going to be set aside into some kind of of special class that only can be considered for this position because it's a violation of the very spirit as well as the letter of our constitution and constitutional jurisprudence. 
But you're, man, Curtis, I hadn't even thought about that one. Brother, thank you for that insight. How many people have the integrity to do something like that? Certainly not her because she doesn't think that way anyway. I don't think that she thinks that the Constitution, you know, I, I hear again, I'm speculating a little bit, so you all forgive me. But I really believe that if she were pressed in private, she would say that the Constitution is itself a racist document and that we shouldn't take it that seriously because it was written by a bunch of white men and blah, 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 blah. I saw she had, had a portrait of Frederick Douglass in the background in one of her cameo shots. Frederick Douglass believed that the Constitution was not a racist document and that it was good for all Americans. It just needed to be applied to all Americans. So, man, Curtis, thank you, brother. That, that, was, that was quite a point there. Let's go to Jeff in Tennessee. Jeff, welcome. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Yes, you're on, Jeff. What? Hey, Bishop E.W. Hey, it's yes, an honor sir. To talk to you. Thank you, sir. Well, uh, I think the first thing I want to say is what you said about the Native Americans earlier is absolutely true. Like, they went through a lot, too. And then, uh, hey, you ever played horseshoes? <laughs> yes, I have, of course. Uh, I have. How, you take, how do you take care of a left-wing leaner? <laughs> now that's that's beyond my horseshoe expertise. You tell hey, me. A Republican, a Republican ringer. Okay. Hey, if even though it stands tall, it can be it can be knocked down, and then the bottom can triumph. <laughs> Jeff, thank Jeff, Jeff. Thank you for the call. I think you. I'll, I'll have to think about the horseshoe analogy there, uh, folks. Let's go to another call. We've also got Lisa in Tennessee. Lisa, welcome. Hi. Thank you for Hi. taking my call. And, Bishop, you're just spot on every time I listen to you. Thank um, you, Lisa. And what you were talking about was the pedophilia stuff. Um, this, you know, with that Andy McCartney and him, you know, saying, well, all judges, there's a lot of judges that have felt that way. Well, he needs to more or less personalize it and ask himself, if your child was mm. a victim of child pornography, how would you feel if the perpetrator got off? So leniently, mm -hmm. you know, put it on a more personal level because we don't need that kind of low moral individual in our Supreme Court ever, ever. Our Amen. So Amen. Lisa, thank you so much for the call. And, and, and Lisa, we don't need those kinds of people roaming around our communities because judges have given them light sentences so they can go back out and prey on others. I think the recidivism rate for people who are into child pornography and, and, and pedophilia is virtually zero. In other words, they never reform. They are always looking for a way to prey on children. So for somebody to say, oh, we think this, the, the sentencing is out of line, it's out of whack, and he kept using this phrase, they're at the kind of at the bottom of the whole child pornography. They're at the bottom of it. Like, Okay, so so basically, if you're at the top of it, okay, that's different. But if you're just using child pornography, oh, well, let's not be too hard on them. After all, they just kind of happened up on it on the Internet. I mean, well, I, that one shocked me. I didn't expect him to go there. But you know what I think this is, since we've been talking about this, you know what I think is driving this, folks? The fact that she is a black woman. And once again, you get the skittishness. Let's not criticize her. We don't want to be called racist. Well, how about just talking about the merits? And, 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 and anybody who wants to use race is going to do it no matter what. I mean, you could, you know, you could, you could say, uh, I don't particularly like those glasses she wears. Somebody said, that's racist. <laughs> you know? I mean, so there's no getting around that. Just, just stand up for the truth, period. Well, folks, that's going to do it for today. God bless each and every one of you. And remember, we cannot be defeated if we will not quit because we are on God's side. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.